former Maryland State Senator Karen Montgomery offers insight into the health care reform movement in Maryland. She elaborates upon the effects of special interest lobbyists and general popular fear-mongering. I think that most of the legislatures across the board, both parties, mm -hmm. the legislators are believing in what they're voting mm -hmm. and they choose to talk to the lobbyists that they talk to because they find a congruence there. Mm -hmm. But I do think that some of the lobbyists pressure some of the delegates and senators mm -hmm. and some of the leadership occasionally in the name of what's good for the country. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a cop-out, because what would be good for the country is to have everybody, health insurance, and access to adequate health care at an affordable price. The problem is, is we've got people who yell communism, socialism, all of this kind of thing, whereby up in Canada, which God knows I don't think is a communist country, there is universal health care. Stay tuned for more from former state senator Karen Montgomery. Hello and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here today with Karen S. Montgomery, former Maryland State Senator, a Democrat who represented District 14. Karen is also a former Maryland State Delegate and a former Professor of Fine Arts at George Washington University. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I am doing very well, especially since it's not raining and it's warm out. Yes. <laughs> well, um, Karen, the, the weather is great and it's perfect for an interview today. So the first question I'd like to ask you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? I have worked in many areas. One of them is that our minorities in Montgomery County are taken for granted. And one of the minorities, oddly enough, is the major minority has been Korean. And they are very active in their own communities, but have not been brought in enough into the larger party. And by when I say party, I like it to be the Democratic Party, uh, because I think minorities have started this country. And I think that what has happened has been an ignoring of Asian populations. Now, I have a special interest in Asian populations because my daughter-in-law and my granddaughter-in-law are both from Asia. One is from People's Republic mm -hmm. and one is from Taiwan. So one of the things I worked hard to do was to help make other minorities, along with African-American minorities, feel they had a place and an active role in Montgomery County. Toward that goal, I was very forward in helping our county executive, Ike Leggett, mm -hmm. who I assumed was an excellent candidate for county exec 
because he had a law degree. He was a professor. He was also one heck of a good tennis player. And, uh, really? Yes. And uh, he, when I interviewed him, he seemed like a fine man. Mm -hmm. And so I gave a dinner party for him. Mm -hmm. I have done this for several other folks because I feel in some cases we need to be reaching out to people into our own homes mm -hmm. because too often there are things in public places where people don't get a chance to talk. So that being said, I also believe very strongly in public education. Mm -hmm. I am a product of public education, mm -hmm. and I think without the fine teaching I had gotten in Baltimore, actually, mm -hmm. uh, I would not have been able to do so many of the things I've done. Another area in which I have both a personal interest and a professional interest is those with disabilities. Mm -hmm. My son is autistic, he's with CSAC, and when he came along, we could tell after a year or two that there was something not quite as it should be, mm -hmm. but we didn't have a name for it. And the Germans came up with the term autism, mm -hmm. and that then came to this country. I am still an active member of CSAC, which is Community Services for Autistic Adults and Children, and have for other people with disabilities tried to be a strong advocate to see that they can work jobs for many of them who are able to do it, mm -hmm. but are not given the chance. And I also believe in supported employment, where a job coach can go with people into a firm or into a company. And I will say some of the groups in Silver Spring were very good to work with and to make that happen. I'd like to take some of those issues in order. You mentioned that you've, you're very interested in improving diversity, I suppose, in government and in elected office. Why do you feel that minorities, particularly Koreans or Asian populations, have been kept out? Or if it has been inadvertent, what do you think needs to be done to include them? And what will, more importantly, be the effect of including them? Well, I think the effect is you can get some good legislators and if you look at the Montgomery County delegation, we do now have a woman of color, mm -hmm. which we had not had before. The delegation had been all white. And I think that each group that comes in brings not only their needs, but their skills. And I think in my case, in District 14, mm -hmm. uh, Pam has indeed brought in both her loyalty skills and her guts. And I'm going to go right ahead with that because her first statement on the floor mm -hmm. and when you're appointed and you first step out on the floor, it's scary. Mm -hmm. And her first speech on the floor was in opposition to having guns in the classroom with the professors. And Pam Queen stood up and said, I'm black. I'm a woman, and I'm a professor at a university, and this is a bad idea and a bad bill, and I urge a no vote, and the bill was voted down. Hmm. So this is what you get, someone who represents a group and who will stand up and say something that makes sense for all the group. Hmm. All right, and so, so improving diversity brings new voices, I suppose, into uh, the state legislature. You also mentioned that your son has autism and uh, you have had an interest in advocating for uh, those with developmental disabilities in the state legislature. You've had a particular interest in advancing mental health issues and uh, you've also 
been the lead sponsor on single-payer uh, health care in Maryland. Would you speak about what needs to happen uh, with regards to uh, mental health care funding, access, availability? What sort of legislation uh, needs to – and what have you been able to accomplish throughout the course of your legislative career? That's a rough one. But we see demonstrations every day, yeah. just about every day in the paper of what happens when people have poor mental health, become very over-anxious and dangerous, mm-hmm. and shoot a lot of people because they have mental health issues. Number one, people like to step around those issues. They're embarrassed by them, they're uncomfortable with them, and they need to be tackled. I think the last few cases, it's very obvious people knew there was a problem and nobody knew what to do or how to step in. Mm-hmm. That is an area in which it's smart to give a minute's thought because you just can't go up and slap somebody in jail and say, you're nuts, you're dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't do it. But what we do need is more sensible assessment of the person's thought process, how hostile they are, and the biggie, access to weaponry. And that is the issue right now that we are not facing, have not faced, and so far as I can see, don't have a willingness to face. Access to dangerous weaponry should not be optional. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to have different tests for obtaining weapons, why you need them, how much and how powerful they should be. Mm-hmm. Now, and not me, limiting just to those with mental health no, backgrounds, but for across the population. Across the total population. Now, I have to say, I have done target shooting. Mm-hmm. I have done out in a desert area mm-hmm. against a dune shooting of tin cans. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Knowing that you can hit a tin can at 300 yards Mm -hmm. is damned impressive. (laughs) In fact, when you beat out somebody who's in the military and has used guns for a long time and you beat them, you feel really good about that one. So you can be a gun user and want regulation. I love shooting. love to have more opportunity to do it. Uh But I do think England has not had the kind of thing we've had because you generally cannot have access to a gun. Now, hunters, I have no quarrel with hunters. If Mm -hmm. they're clean hunters, if they eat and clean up what they kill, Mm -hmm. uh, I have eaten food that people have brought to me, haunches of venison. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. I do have a problem with any kid, any adult Mm -hmm. can go in and buy a gun and you hardly even need to give your real name. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to have a waiting period. Oh, mm-hmm. I can hear the screams now. Yes, we do need a waiting period, and there does need to be a background check. And that bound background check will include whether you've done any felonies, what you've been arrested for. And I must say, and I'm very cherry of this one, if there have been some severe mental health issues that have become public. Mm-hmm. People with clinical depression, mm-hmm often don't turn it on others, but do turn it on themselves, or people with generalized other issues do manage to kill a lot of people. A lot of times when someone seeks uh, mental health care, Mm -hmm. there's a firewall protecting their electronic health record. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not publicly accessible. And uh, if it were to be made available uh, for the purposes Mm -hmm. of a background check, that may be a disincentive for someone to seek any sort of mental health care whatsoever. What do you, how do you respond? Possibly. Um, 
I can see that. Now, when my autistic son, we realized something was wrong but did not know what, mm -hmm. and that term was not in use in this country at that time, mm -hmm. we did see a psychiatrist as a family mm -hmm. to sort of figure out why this kid was still barely walking and another child of ours was running around. Right. And so we did indeed see a psychiatrist, a very capable one, who was just learning about autism himself mm -hmm. because we used to call it retarded, brain damaged, you name it, had many names. Uh, I think that it is necessary occasionally for people to be able to have their records looked at mm -hmm. if there seems to be a question. Now, that does not mean you publish them. <laughs> uh, would it be, would you have any concerns with this being a HIPAA violation? Uh, it could be. It could be, and this is what the courts are going to have to figure out. And for our listeners who don't know that acronym, it's the Health Insurance Portability and Protection Act from the 1990s. Right. right. And what this was about is if you had sought any help for mental health problems mm -hmm. or other problems. Uh, in the past, uh, if people had syphilis, mm -hmm. any of that kind of thing, it was such a social bad thing. Now mm -hmm. they get some, what is it, penicillin or some broad spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> antibiotic. Yeah, antibiotic. But uh, this was to protect people's being able to work. And the other area that it affected was yeah. tuberculosis, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, in this area, there was a, a group of high school kids many years ago mm -hmm. who all did the time test for TB and mm -hmm. came out positive. They had been exposed. They did not have TB, but they were exposed. Mm -hmm. Turned out that a worker in the McDonald's where they were mm -hmm. had TB. Mm -hmm. um, so if a communicable disease yep. that could affect others, that should be made known. Uh, should be known. And there was like tuberculosis marrying. the point marrying. is the woman could have gotten help. Yeah. She had had a cough for months, mm -hmm. did not even realize she had tuberculosis mm -hmm. and was spreading it like mad. And so if you're also putting the public in danger because of your mental health status. Right. Then or your health status and you're too damn poor, which is another whole issue we do need to be talking about in this mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. And that is health care. Mm -hmm. And I do think we need to broaden access to health care at an affordable level. And you can call it universal health care, you can call it this or that, but you have cases where people are walking around with communicable diseases because they're terrified mm -hmm. of going to a doctor and not having any money. Some doctors will take care of you, some won't. So you, would you explain, walk me through why you have been the lead sponsor of a single-payer health insurance bill, why it hasn't passed, and what it would have looked like had it had passed? The problem is, is we've got people who yell communism, socialism, all of this kind of thing, whereby up in Canada, which God knows I don't think is a communist country, there is universal health care. I think the people who object to it the most are the individual health care companies mm -hmm. who feel they'll lose business. There can be ways to have them join together and offer some policies across the board that are reasonably priced and yet comprehensive in preventative care. Now, there are two things. Many Western nations, in fact, almost all Western nations have universal health care coverage. And those with single payer like France, Canada and Great Britain, mm -hmm. they also have private health insurance companies that Ab exist in their absolutely, countries. It's they not do. the abolition. Good. I know you know that. It's <laughs> nice to know you 
know that. So you the, have the basics from the universal health care. If you want fancy and you don't want to do this, yes, you can get it on top of it. Would and, you say that there would be an adequate analogy between uh, what would exist in a single-payer system and what currently exists with public education, whereby everyone's entitled to a single public education program with that teacher in that school, but if you like, you're welcome to pay for private school? And that is a very cool analogy. I'm glad we've got somebody knowledgeable asking the questions here, and it is a good analogy. Karen, I'd like to ask you for a minute about political action committees on this topic. Mm -hmm. Many individuals in the Maryland House of Delegates and the Maryland State Senate do accept campaign contributions from political action committees, Mm -hmm. including those from healthcare-related committees. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the Maryland Hospital Association, Mm -hmm. MedCi, organizations and associations that represent health insurance companies. Companies, hospitals, and physicians uh, saying these are bad things. But what I'm asking is, do you think that the fear that these associations have about how such legislation may impact their long-term profitability has any impact over the donations they give and whether those donations have any impact over the decisions that legislators make with regards to this piece of legislation? I think that is a complex question. I'll try to tackle several edges of it. One, it depends on the individual legislator. I have had people from the insurance company in my office in both the House and in the Senate when I was there, mm-hmm. and um, I we would have open discussions, and I had one particular uh, lobbyist stomp out of there, and you're a, <clears throat> I will eliminate the bad word, but you're a blanking communist, mm-hmm. and I am not a communist. <laughs> I live rather well privately on private income, but I do think that some of the lobbyists pressure some of the delegates and senators Mm -hmm. and some of the leadership occasionally in the name of what's good for the country. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a cop-out because what would be good for the country is to have everybody, health insurance and access to adequate health care at an affordable price. I do not believe in free health care, but I do believe in making it affordable for the individual. I think without it, we leave ourselves open in some communities, and that has been proven in time by some of the groups who do not believe in insurance or outside medical care, that when they get sick, that sometimes they break down and go to a hospital. And I'm talking about those who do not believe in modern medicine such Mm -hmm. as we have it. Sometimes people die because of their extra purity in these issues. Depends. If it were my kid who was dying, I don't have that belief, but I sure would want my kid to have a chance to live. However, this being said, I think that part of the problem is people cop on to candidates who are influential influence of uh, available shall we say mm-hmm. there are very few of those i have to say in the maryland legislature i think that most of the legislatures across the board both parties mm-hmm. the legislators are believing in what they're voting mm-hmm. and they choose to talk to the lobbyists that they talk to because they find a congruence there mm-hmm. in their belief however that being said i think a broader acceptance of all of the ideas needs to happen 
in some areas of Maryland. What would your uh, single-payer system have looked like? I looked at several single-payer systems, and I think it involves, and this is where we get into what I just touched on, everyone, I think, does need to have different shots. Um, that's why we don't have polio epidemics anymore. This is why we don't have... You're talking about immunizations. Immunization, and I think that if a community does not want immunization, they should not be allowed to mix with a larger population mm-hmm. uh, because they will be carriers mm-hmm. of a number of diseases. The other thing that it will do is in cases of accidents, mm-hmm. uh, you break bones, you fall down, uh, you get hit by a car, you should receive, no matter what your insurance status is, necessary and adequate care. Mm-hmm. I have seen... In the case in this country where someone was not treated very well because they were poor, mm-hmm. they had no insurance, and the hospital knew it was going to have to eat what the costs of having that patient there were. And it kind of breaks my heart. So my kind of insurance would cover anybody with anything with out even letting the people who were caring for them, the nurses mm-hmm. and doctors, know whether they had or did not have insurance. Now, to what extent would you say that we already are paying for universal coverage through the emergency room <laughs> oh, yeah, we as, are. as mandated mm-hmm. by the right. MTALA, which right. is an act requ- in, ni- in the 1986 right. by right. Congress requiring right. that every hospital provide care to anyone who presents mm-hmm. themselves at the ER regardless of asking for payer status, mm-hmm. and that we these hospitals are, 46 to 47, are not-for-profit in Maryland, mm-hmm. and that they uh, are additionally reimbursed for uncompensated mm-hmm. care through right. the HSCRC all-payer rate-setting mm-hmm. system. What do you say to the statement, we already have universal health care mm-hmm. through our ERs? It's a lot harder to get to, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's expensive as hell mm-hmm. on purpose mm-hmm. because uh, it costs money. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a false, false thing. You do not get necessary shots uh, for prevention in emergency rooms. Now, I ended up in an emergency room in England Mm -hmm. with a broken leg Mm -hmm. and had to be, uh, they were going to helicopter me, I didn't want that, Uh, taken to a hospital. I had no idea where I was, but I did have a rather badly broken leg over there. They straightened it, it was a compound fracture, Mm -hmm. they pulled it together casted me, put me in traction, did all of that, fed me at midnight, uh, took care of me, washed my hair because I had fallen in mud. And two days later, Mm -hmm. when I left the hospital, the question was, Deary, do you happen to have health insurance in the U.S.? (laughs) Okay. We gave them our Blue Cross Blue Shield thing. Two months later, I get a call from the insurance company why did you go to an insurance uh, a hospital in England? Why didn't you go in the U.S.? <laughs> this is a comment I'm not going to comment further on, but this is the kind of thinking that makes me believe we need to look at our healthcare system a little more closely. So, uh, well, we've talked a lot about healthcare. We've touched upon... Oh, by the way, my bill for two nights in the hospital... 
uh, setting a compound fracture, casting, all of that, the whole bill was $230 American. And would this bill sort of look, if you were to have single payer in Maryland, would it be a public option that people could opt into? Would it be just you're automatically universally covered if you are a resident of the state of Maryland? Would it be expanding Medicaid? What exactly would this I would like it to be national, of course. Yeah. Um, in Maryland, I think it would be probably all that could, could get through is expanding Medicaid. Mm -hmm. But I think that this country needs to wise up mm -hmm spread the costs a bit and have it all over the United States as every other civilized country in the world has. Mm -hmm. This is a huge problem where we pride ourselves in letting people die in the streets uh, rather than having them get uh, the shots they need and the medications they need. So I'm curious, just I'd like to depart from this discussion of policy for a moment and provide uh, listeners with some insight into who you are. You uh, have had an interesting path uh, into politics. In fact, you didn't enter po politics until, although you said that you first uh, were a volunteer at age five, but you didn't enter politics in terms of as being a candidate until your sixth decade of life. I was 65. You've been a professor of arts. You, uh, you, you are an artist. Would you speak about just that process of getting involved in politics and especially coming from such a unique background uh, as, as being a professor in, in fine arts? Well, I never didn't get involved in politics. Around every election, I was a precinct chair, then I became a broader area uh, chair. Mm -hmm. I was out at the polls every year with getting enough volunteers to cover all the polls. And this is for a long period of time? Uh, this is many, many years, mm -hmm. yeah, long before I ran. Mm -hmm. I just did it because I felt it was a civic duty. And you had no ambitions, not really at that point. I also had three children, mm -hmm. and um, there at that point, I was too busy with care for my autistic son and uh, paying college tuition for the other two mm -hmm. there, <laughs> and uh, had to do what I had to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pleased that I did that. I learned a lot during that period. However, um, I would advise not someone right out of college. We had a person like that in the legislature. You need to be knocked around and experienced by life mm -hmm. a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, when you first go in. Probably, ideally, the ideal age would be 45. Hmm. However, however, the pay is lousy. Mm -hmm. It's under 50K a year. Mm -hmm. So for a breadwinner for a family... You know, you're meeting three months of the year. I know a couple of people who had to leave the legislature because they either had to choose between their job or the legislature mm -hmm. because their job would no longer tolerate yeah. their, their being pretty much gone mm -hmm. for three months out of the year. If you take it seriously, it's a very consuming job. Mm -hmm. It's a 12-month-a-year job, despite the fact that you're only in session for three months. Mm -hmm. If you are dedicated to the job, you are available to constituents year-round. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, even on a holiday, when there's a problem, um, like someone needing yeah. to be taken care of, at a hospital and their emergency room was closed because it was Christmas Day, even though they're not supposed to be. <laughs>
Wow. <laughs> Sounds like you have a breadth of experience throughout these many decades of work. As we approach the end of this podcast, a final two-part question for you, Karen. Would you speak about why you've been motivated to serve all these years, especially entering uh, electoral politics as a candidate so late in life? Uh, and what do you hope, uh, now that you have reached the end of your career as an elected official, uh, the legacy has become uh, for all of your effort? I hope that being who you are is the legacy mm -hmm. and examining damn closely who you are. Mm -hmm. If your tendency is to slide out from under issues and walk away from problems, I suggest you take another job. Don't run for office. Mm -hmm. You need to be dedicated to doing what you perceive as the best and most honorable thing. And if you are, it's how it will be best for all of your constituents. Now, it's, many political figures have been accused of lying. And my response to that, if you lie a lot, it's awfully hard to remember what you said. Mm -hmm. But if you have told the truth, it's the same old story every time because it is the truth as you perceive it. I think it's better if people are seasoned by life before they run. Mm -hmm. I think it's often helpful, and I hope I'm not trashing anybody, but I think it's helpful if you experience a rich family life. This does not preclude people who are gay, if we use the new term, because many of the people today who are what we used to call homosexual, who we call gay today, do have families, do have children. Mm -hmm. And I think that our world is broad enough to accept it. Mm -hmm. In the Roman times, and we often look back mm -hmm. at Rome and Greece, only men and only people who had certain amounts of money or property and titles mm -hmm. could vote. Only in less than a hundred years have women been able to vote in this country. Mm -hmm. And more recently, did black people even have a chance at having a voice? The Civil War did not solve that. Mm -hmm. So I think what we need to look forward to with our democracy is having as open, honest, free-spoken, and sincere government that is humanly possible. That may be the problem. We're humans. <laughs> And that has been Karen S. Montgomery, a former Maryland state senator and state delegate and a former professor of fine arts, who speaks uh, about her work uh, increasing uh, the diversity in electoral politics, caring for the vulnerable, expanding access to health care uh, and framing it uh, as a matter of, of equal access, of something that's uh, common sense and fiscally responsible. Uh, Karen speaks about uh, the need to be seasoned by life before uh, one is able to appropriately represent a, a large population in the legislature and thinks that uh, the work of being an elected official is in fact some of the best and most honorable work that one can do uh, and advocates for uh, persistence in truth-telling and honesty <laughs> as uh, that will be the best way to serve your constituents and keep your stories straight. So, Karen, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, and it's been fun. <laughs> this has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 
630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.